And welcome to For What It's Earth, a sustainability, nature, climate change and environment podcast which asks, what can we do to save the planet? I'm Emma. I'm Lloyd. And this week we are talking about the little furry critters in our house. The, the, the ones we want in our house, I should say. The pets. We're, we're talking about pets. <laughs> Thanks very much to listener Jack for suggesting this episode. Um, it's been on our list for a while, but he did email in. And last week we said... If you email us in and suggest an episode, first one first, we'll do it. So so well done, Jack. We're doing your episode. And I'm glad it was a sensible suggestion because we could have ended up doing something really weird. We could have done. We could have done. So thanks. Yeah. Dub- double thanks for not making us research anything super strange. But I mean, Lloyd, this is kind of your area anyway, isn't it? Because you've got you've got quite a few pets. Yeah. I've got three. I've got two, two rescue dogs from Romania, Gigi and Doris. And so I've got uh, a cat called Lola who've had yes. since kitten. So you're kind of the um, unofficial expert for this episode. I mean... Just to let you know. As, as, as far as between the two of us, I suppose. <laughs> but we, we, we do have somebody else joining us later in the episode. We do. We get two into it, Lloyd. What one good thing have you done this week? Yeah, so I really like my stationery. And ah. I, I, I buy a lot of the Uniball pens because they just come in so many different colours and they write really well. But the problem is they're obviously not sustainable at all because they're completely disposable. Mm. And pens are a really difficult thing, I think, to To be sustainable sustainable. with and enjoy the product because you can buy like fancy fountain pens, but they tend to be a lot more expensive. Or you can buy like, I, well, I basically ended up buying some like pens to tie me over for now from, I think it was called Greenstat. We were like a green stationery company in the UK. And most of their stuff's recycled. Uh, they haven't arrived yet, but that, that's my one good thing. So I thought rather than always buying disposable pens, <laughs> I will try out some others nice. and see, see how good they are. It's funny, isn't it? When you start to look at your life and think, how can I make changes and what can I make sustainably? You start to look at every tiny little part of life, don't you? And mm. you think, oh my God, there are so many tiny little places where we could be doing better. So nice. Niche, the problem is it's so easy pens. just to hop onto Amazon and just order another six pack of pens. Grr, rather than Amazon. spend an extra five minutes just trying to find a more sustainable solution. Yeah. So what about you? What, what have you done this week? I have filled out the census. Have you had your census letter through yet? I have. I've only got halfway through mine, though. So there's this movement called Climate Census, uh, which is based in the UK. So apologies to our plethora of uh, international listeners. But basically, every now and again, you have to fill out a census, which just tells the government who you are, where you live, and all sorts of funny little nitty gritty details about your lifestyle. Um, and you're, you're obliged to answer it, right? But one of the one of the things that this movement has kind of said is, you know, we can't go out and protest on the streets right now safely to make our voices known that we're concerned about climate change. So here's a fun way to use the census as a way to call government's um, attention to the amount of us that are worried about climate change and they very kindly sent us in a voice note which i'll play now and explains everything hi my name is chelsea and i'm popping on to tell you about the climate census campaign every 10 years the uk undertakes a national census right now the census is being rolled out across england wales and northern ireland in 2019 the uk government announced a climate emergency But given the lack of government action on climate change and the inability to mass protest due to COVID, we see the census as a COVID-safe opportunity to hold the government accountable and remind them to commit to climate action. Research found that 85% of Britons are concerned about climate change, 
So we want you to voice that concern on the census. To take part in this campaign, simply find the religion question on the census and if you aren't religious, select other for the writing option and write climate concerned. If you have questions, we have an FAQ on our website, climatecensus.uk or find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram with the handle at climatecensusuk. Yeah, so that's that's what I did for my one good thing this week. I declared myself climate concerned. Well, I haven't finished filling out mine yet, so maybe I'll go back and edit that into mine. But yeah, so um, so so go and have a look at Climate Census UK on Instagram for for a few more details if you're interested in doing that. Now, um, let's get let's get back to pets, shall we? So one of the things when researching this episode is how do you actually determine how eco friendly a pet is? This is quite a tough question, isn't it? modify to make them more sustainable and it's pretty much the same for pets because it's it's a case of what they're eating mm. it's a case of what you do with uh, the stuff that comes out the other side <laughs> mm. it's a case of like toys and enrichment activities like what, what their food bowls are made of how you go about taking them for walks do you drive or do you walk I mean, you're gonna have to walk at some point if you take them for a walk. But how do you get to the walking location? You know, you know that's, what I mean. That's mega lazy, isn't it? If you're just driving at two miles an hour with your lead out the window, like, come on, boys. <laughs> or you just pull up at the park and just shove them out, and then just they run back in after five minutes. <laughs> More on responsible dog walking later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there are so many different aspects. Hard nowhere to start. Yeah, this could be, this could be a mammoth episode. Yeah, don't worry, we won't, we won't keep it too long for you. And no mammoths will be involved in this episode. I'm sure it's too <laughs> obvious. I took the low-hanging fruit. <laughs> so, I mean... Proudly. Yeah, I'm okay with it, I'm okay with it. <laughs> so we'll start with some numbers on pet ownership in the US. So researchers from UCLA found that feeding pets produces 64 million tonnes of carbon dioxide a year. And to put that into to, uh, like some sort of perspective, how many bathtubs? Twenty. How many, how many <laughs> bathtubs does that fill? <laughs> classic. That's around about thirty percent of the environmental impact of all of the meat consumption in the USA. Wow. And if you took ju- just the pet, the, the dogs and cats, so not even rabbits or hamsters, just the dogs and cats in the USA alone, they would ha- form a furry nation, right? Which would rank fifth in the global meat consumption <gasps> index. Blimey. And more globally, if you're looking at just the dry food we produce for pets, you would need double the land mass of the UK to produce the food for all the world's cats and dogs. That is a lot. That doesn't even really factor in the other environmental concerns, which we'll talk about later. That That's just looking at their food alone. So that's mm. already massive, massive footprint. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting in the same way that we say one of the best things that we as humans can do is have a look at how we eat, what we eat and where we purchase it from. It's exactly the same with what we're feeding our pets. The the exact same principles of land use, water use and carbon footprint um, apply. I did read, I mean, this was a pretty old article, so it might not still be exactly true. But I did read that two German shepherds use more resources just for their annual food needs than the average Bangladeshi uses a year in total. Blimey. Yeah. I mean, that's the bathtub stat, isn't it? That really does... Yeah, yeah. That's, what a disparity that's crazy. there. That's, that's absolutely mad. And the thing is as well, we, a lot of pet owners, obviously love their animals so much, but are quite blind to how much they feed their pets. So dog and cat obesity is a 
pretty prominent problem, I think, in, in most of the Western world because we have a pretty warped view of what a healthy dog, for example, should look like. In the USA, apparently 35% of dogs and 35% of the cats are obese. So that, that in itself is an interesting argument, isn't it? What do you feed your pets then? Because it's very easy, I think, perhaps just to say, oh, well, make pets vegetarian, same as us, or make pets yeah. vegan. But um, because, of course, it takes less land and less water to grow meat than it does grains and plants. Um, and as you said, we can also scale back the volume that we're feeding them. But you can't always ensure that the nutritional demand of said pet is met by plants and animals and there are some really interesting like commercial companies creating things like pet food out of insects these days and we've talked before about using insects as a human food source it's really high in protein yeah and it's more sustainable it's lower waste Um, and cats and dogs will often eat insects anyway when they go outside so it's not (laughs) an unfamiliar thing for them to be digesting i mean the thing is um a lot of people don't like eating this, but dogs are omnivores. Mm. They are kind of like us in that they will eat pretty much anything. Obviously, there are a lot of things dogs shouldn't eat, so definitely look up what dogs shouldn't, shouldn't eat before you feed anything new. But dogs are generalists. They will pretty much eat whatever they like. Mm. And you can you don't have to feed them a purely meat diet all the time. Things that obviously vary is dog to dog, so like some have very particular needs for whatever reason. I'm hoping that, for example, insect protein will take off. There was one study on cats. So cats are carnivores. They do need meat. So we can't substitute in grains in the same Mm. way. But there was one study that said that actually, if you've got a cat that's prone to hunting, more premium meat will actually reduce its hunting instincts because it's getting the amino acids and the proteins it needs. So it's delicate. That's interesting, yeah. Dogs especially, we can reduce our food impact. Yeah, and there, and there are other ways as well you can try and reduce the impact of the food sphere of owning a dog, aren't there? So food also comes with packaging, as we're well aware. Yes. Instead of having um, a pouch for every single meal, you could buy dry food in bigger bulk. You can even make some of your own kind of homemade treats and things, so then you know these things don't have palm oil in. Uh, good point, yeah. And yeah, and, and things like, again, with combating plastic sachets, which just end up in landfill, opt for cans which are more yep. tins is particularly of cat food and things where you know they can be recycled and if you're yep. feeding your pets fish literally the same principle applies to us make sure that the fish that you're buying is certified marine stewardship council um, and that it's come from sustainable fisheries so falls to i will say that i will say that yes tins are much better for cats and i definitely advocate getting tins of pouches some places some councils do recycle pouches oh, so our, ours do yeah which means you've got to sort of wash them out and save them but we do have a council which will recycle cat pouches oh great um google yeah. that then everyone yes so, so de- definitely look sites. up what you can do but i think tins are still better and if you can get somehow bigger tins that the problem is they come in such little tiny portions but uh when it comes to big bags of dry food as well definitely opt for paper-based packaging which Mm. is much more common nice and you can also if we're talking about feeding pets meat make a decision as to which meat so chicken for example will have a lower carbon footprint than beef products yes so definitely avoid beef if you can actually that's going to have a massive water and co2 footprint okay so i mean we've gone into what goes in as you so delicately put it earlier should we have a look at what comes out? So yeah, what goes in must come out. Of course. I, I've, I've never written so many notes about poo 
in my life. I never thought that I'd say the word poo so frequently with a microphone in front of me as we are going to today. <laughs> I mean, the, the thing is as well, I've got a lot of notes on it, but not necessarily definitive answers. So if you're yeah. um, hoping for me to say explicitly the best thing to do with dog poo, you might be slightly disappointed, but I can maybe give you some pointers and help clarify some things. Mm. So <laughs> first of all, dog waste, I should say, does need to be cleaned up. Whatever, whatever you do, clean up because Come on. you can't just leave it please, because it's got uh, harmful parasites mm. uh, in dog poo, especially, and cat poo as well, actually. Harmful to human health as well as wildlife, yeah. Yeah, so please dispose of these properly. And also, it absolutely sucks if you're out for a walk and you tread in dog poo. It, oh, ru- it ruins this. your day, let's be Just honest. find a little patch of grass and like spend a while sliding your foot through it. So what are you talking, Lloyd? Bags? Yep, yeah, so bags. So there are loads and loads and loads and loads and loads and loads of dog bag suppliers that make what they call biodegradable compostable dog bags Mm. so this kind of comes into many discussions we've had before like when we were talking about tea bags being made of pla for example so it's difficult because the bags will quite often when you put them in your dog bin in the park for example the council will take them and they'll put them in landfill or they'll burn them so it doesn't they're not getting the opportunity to compost are they no they're They're not getting the opportunity to compost same pathway yes Exactly. Having said that, yeah, I do concede it's still better to get cornstarch-based bags mm. and fully degradable bags because those will still be better. But just be aware that they're, they're not necessarily because you put them in a dog savior, bin in the park. They? Yeah, yeah, it's not necessarily being composted. Mm. Having said that, you can home compost dog poo. You can, but it's but. very important <laughs> to note that if you are like me, home composting with the intention of compost going on food growing. Um, do not put any compost, which you've got dog poo in, onto your vegetable patch. Because as you said, it's f- full of parasites. And um, we've all learnt this year about the risk of zoonotic disease and transfer from one species to another, haven't you? So this is something that can happen with, with dog poo. Yes, but I will also say, be very careful whatever you do. Yeah. Composting dog waste at home, because you, it needs to be very carefully managed. Yeah. And you don't want it to be, you don't want a compost heap that can in any way leach into groundwater Mm. because again those parasites can get into the water and they can not only cause direct harm but they can lead to like algal blooms in the water Mm. that sort of thing generally you need to not i think yeah Yeah. generally best not but you need to really read up on what you're doing i think if you're going to compost dog poo at home uh so also make sure you worm your dog that's also another thing to do and you can buy specific dog waste composting bins can you? specific for that purpose yes ah. i am um, i also read that you can flush dog poo down the toilet yes but not cat poo interestingly exactly so cat poo has a number of parasites in that our sewage system cannot handle so don't be flushing cat poo but yeah i found it interesting that dog poo could potentially go down so your yes route. however i also went down this rabbit hole check with your local water company uh-huh. before you flush any dog poo down the toilet because some of them well, I, I would have thought they'd all have the same standards and I don't know whether it's because they have different standards or like different equipment or whether they just have different opinions on it. But check with your water company first because some of them say it's absolutely fine. Like 99% of all pathogens get killed anyway in the water, like when it's treated. And some say that it's just not suitable. That's interesting. Okay, good. Yeah. So contact your water company and if they say, yeah, fine, that's, you know, we can deal with that. You can buy water soluble bags, which will go whoosh, 
Um, yeah, I've seen those. Yeah. yeah. I am um, another thing to think about while we're on the subject of dog poo um in the home, let's move it outside. There's the whole flick and stick method, isn't stick and flick, mm, isn't there? Yeah. There's a, a suggestion that if your dog poos, instead of bagging it and taking it to a bin, you could just kind of get a stick and flick it far away, somewhere where mm. isn't near a path. But the problem with this is that dog poo is so high nutrients, it's a really intense fertilizer, most of which particularly places like meadows with wildflowers, they cannot handle that high nutrient content. Wildflowers need really poor soils to thrive, for example. So yeah. um, by leaving dog poo everywhere, you can really increase like dense vegetation and scrub and things like bramble, which is um, not necessarily what you want in a wildflower meadow or land that's been managed for wildflowers. And it's all it's quite easy to kind of just do it once yourself, isn't it? But if you're in a popular walking route and every, every five minutes somebody yeah. else is flinging some dog poo, because it is so rich, it can have a really quick impact. Yeah, which is difficult because I, I know a lot of people do like to do that. Um, and it's it's just not obvious that that could not be a good thing. Mm. But you can. I, I found some suppliers which will make paper-based methods. So some supply like sheets of like slightly waxy paper to pick it up. And then the idea is you've got to try and tie it off. Now, I'm slightly sceptical about how well you can actually tie it off mm. without... Because um, obviously the beautiful bag, you don't have to touch it at all. But the paper, I don't know. If anyone has used that before, let me know. There's also these sort of like box scooper contraptions, which like okay. fold out. And you kind of have a box with like pincers and you sort of get under with the pincers and then you like turn it upside down and it fits into like this carrying case oh gosh um, so it looks like you're carrying your lunch Suitcases. but it's actually dog poo don't yeah that makes that yeah exactly so those are interesting I, I don't know how well they work so if you've used them let me know because yeah, that would be really interesting mm, and one last thing on cat poo while we're talking about we're being quite um dog and cat specific actually in this episode we yeah. should have prefaced that um but there's a, there's an awful lot to fit in and we just couldn't we couldn't fit in all other <laughs> animals so many pets <laughs> but um in terms of cat litter a useful way to change um or green up that process is to try and find cat litter that doesn't have sodium metanite clay in it because that is often sourced using very destructive methods so um more kind of sawdusty based yep. items are useful yeah, we, we, our cat litter is all um, wood, essentially. It's like, a, I'm pretty sure it's FSC certified. Oh, nice. So yeah. it's like little wood recycled Pelletty pallets. Bits. Yeah. Nice. It's probably a very good time. To, I know we talked about poo so much and I never thought we ever would. We're going to have to steer away it, from poo. <laughs> oh, but, but, but there's just one really cool thing. Um, a couple of years ago, a guy called Brian Harper, who is in England, he's up in the Melvin Hills, he uh, invented a dog poo powered street lamp. Did you see this? Yes, this is super cool. I'm so yeah. on board with this becoming a common sight in our streets. Well, he has since been talking, I think, to park owners in, in the US and Canada about installing more around. So, so, cool. so the idea is you, you, you pick up, I think, some paper-based bags that they supply, pick up the dog poo, open a hatch in this lamp, put it in, turn a handle, and it'll decompose in there and it'll use the methane to power the lamp it's such a cool idea yeah i think that's brilliant absolutely brilliant i really hope that that becomes something that we see everywhere what a neat idea it just makes sense wouldn't it it does because it's a waste product rather than having dog bins which the council has to pay to collect anyway you could just have yeah yeah it's, it's so really neat okay let's call time Should on we dog sidestep poo? the poo for now shall we yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> let's brush that out from our shoes for now <laughs> let's let's have a look at all of the the kind of i'm going to say pet accessories 
all of the non-poo or so food-based yeah. things gets... that you could also look at with uh, with pets. So, what you know, the kind of crap that you buy a pet, toys and clothes and all that stuff, can make a huge difference as to your pet's combined carbon footprint. Do you do your dogs have coats? They do because the rain sticks to them. It doesn't just it doesn't run off like other dogs seem to. It just sticks to their fur. And so by the time you get home, they're just like matted and it just you've got to towel them down. So we just put a little coat over them and it tends to keep keep them drier. Oh yeah. nice. I couldn't I couldn't find one in the UK, but there probably are ones. But um a major so you know how we use kind of deep depop and eBay for our second hand yeah. clothes. There's a there's a huge one called Poshmark in the US, Canada and Australia, which yeah. is a second hand clothing store. But they've now announced that they're gonna be bringing in a pet section. Ah uh, yes. Which is gonna be good. So that's that's really good. So that's it's like yeah, anti fast fashion for pets, like slow fashion for pets. Yeah. But in the UK, you know, Facebook Marketplace, Gumtree, eBay. Um, are really good ways to maybe not necessarily buy new for your pets as well as yourself. And same with toys as well, not just clothes. Pet toys often can be... Because um, sometimes, I don't know if you've found this as well, but sometimes pets will not enjoy a toy that you've bought them that you think they'll like. So instead of it yeah. not getting used, you could either donate it to a shelter if they're accepting donations, or you could pass it on via the medium of the internet to somebody else. Yeah, our oldest dog like enjoys having toys, but he pretty much just like... <laughs> takes them back to his bed he doesn't really know how to play properly so you try and play with him he just takes a toy off you and takes it back to his bed and then just sits on his little pile like Smaug in The Hobbit his, his little like stash or Scrooge McDuck <laughs> <laughs> that's really cute <laughs> but yeah I mean we love our pets and we love to buy them new things think about whether your dog really needs it for a start I mean toys and enrichment are fantastic but there are some accessories you just think like really do you, do you actually need to buy that for your dog but you, there are plenty of companies. Uh, Becco is one that we've bought from in the past, which makes sustainable toys and accessories, which tend to be made of like plant husks and like natural rubber. Oh, nice. Which are a lot better. And there are many other companies that do it as well. Uh, like you could also make your own toys. So if you've got some old sheets or t-shirts, you could tie them up and make them into like a pull toy. Nice. That's Cause, a good Because the dog doesn't know that you just spent 20 quid on a toy. Nice. And, so, you know, something else that I found quite interesting, you mentioned earlier, make sure you get your dogs wormed. But um, mm. pet healthcare can be quite a high carbon um, industry, as it were, in the same way as, I suppose, an overpressurized human healthcare can be quite mm. resource heavy. So make sure that you, you do get all of your pets appropriately vaccinated, spayed, if that's what you want to do, and keep them in good health, because then the less pressure you'll put on the veterinary system and that veterinary system's resource demands. Yeah. Oh, and this, and another thing about keeping your dogs in in or your pets in good health is particularly with dogs where you have to exercise them yourself, they can really help keep you in good health. Both obviously like mm. mental good health because they're a great companion and a lot of people thoroughly enjoy having a pet as part of the family. But also, yeah, your uh, your physical well being, which means that you then potentially will rely less on our healthcare systems. Yeah, and following on from that in a similar vein, if you are thinking about getting a dog. Because um, I know a lot of people in lockdown are. I am a big believer in adopt, don't shop. Mm. So it's quite a touchy subject for people. And I know a lot of people buy their puppies and they love them and they're part of the family. I, I would recommend taking a look at your local shelter, first of all, if you can. Or there are plenty of charities from, for example, ours come from Romania. Having said that, t- definitely look up the charity and make sure they're reputable and they're mm. not, you know. Because, I mean, these dogs already exist. They're already producing carbon footprints. So if we can avoid 
um, encouraging a trade which produces new pets for the sake of it, mm. dare I say it, then um, I think that can that can only be a good thing. We've all seen Tiger King. Let that be a lesson in, <laughs> well, yeah. in, in, in breeding for trade. Um, and, you know, we don't even have time to go into the kind of illegal wildlife tropical pet trade, do we, today? But, no. Um, oh, gosh, no. Safe I mean, to yeah, say, I'll, don't I'll... buy a tiger or a python. Come on. Yeah. I mean, I, I was reading about, um, I, I know we're sticking to dogs and cats, but I was reading about fish and how, especially after finding Dory, uh, a lot of ecologists were worried about the impact that would have on um the wildlife trade mm. because clownfish for example like nemo was nemo. um are mostly bred in captivity anyway mm. but the blue tangs which dory is part of said species blue tangs um can only be taken from the wild or like although the wording i read was harvested which yeah um, is don't like that harvested puts it into perspective doesn't it yeah, so, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a tangent, but um, definitely if, if you're going to an aquarium or you want to fill an aquarium, definitely pay attention to where your fish are coming from and do your research first of all. Mm. So a, a, a delicate subject as well, I think, is the impact that your cats have directly on other species and wild species, particularly cats. So little little hunting ball of teeth and claws. Not, not, not everyone's cats unnecessary hunters but i think we we all know someone whose whose cat does tend to bring in mice or voles or birds so there was a study which was done which i kind of brushed on earlier about how Mm. you can reduce the hunting instinct of your cat one is to feed it more premium meats which i know goes against the carbon impact but you've got to weigh up what's better here so one is to um, increase their meats which gets them particular amino acids that they need another is apparently bright collars are very good they, they tend to um, reduce the number of bird catches if your cat's got a bright ah, collar on. Oh, that's a good point. An early warning system to the birds. Yeah. But it is interesting that I was on the RSPB website and I thought they'd be very much like, oh, keep your cats indoors, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. Um, and I, I do still think you should keep your cat indoors as much as possible. But the RSPB said that in terms of birds, so not necessarily mammals, in terms of birds, it's not necessarily proven that cats have a significant impact on bird populations because they are, ah. they are, they are the RSPB who should say are the Royal Society for the Protection of Birds, say that quite often the birds that cats catch are more likely to be older and sicker birds anyway. Mm. So ones that might die off. And they said that actually the species that are caught by cats the most, or domestic cats the most, are ones that have generally seen an increase in populations. And the wild birds that have seen the biggest crashes in the last couple of decades will be unlikely to cross cats. So that's interesting. Mm. However, 100 million prey items over spring and summer, prey, prey items, prey, birds, mammals will be caught by domestic cats um, every year. So it's still a lot. So I definitely say take some steps to bring your cat in. Yeah, it's about, I think, making a good cohesion between yeah. domestic animals and, and nature, isn't it? Which is precisely why we've got someone else on the podcast to bring in, isn't it? Yes. Very exciting. From Cats and Nature to dogs and nature. Got synergy coming up, everyone. Ryan from Into the Wild podcast. Hello. Welcome to Ford It's Earth. How are you doing, bud? I'm very well. Thank you both for having me on the show. I'm really excited. I'm sorry if I start interviewing you both at any point, by the way. <laughs> hey, it'll be a nice change. <laughs> the clashing of two podcasts. 
So in this episode, as you know, I mean, we're talking about we're talking about pets, um, which was a lovely, lovely yes. episode suggested by one of our listeners. And we thought, since you are both a, a bit of a nature nerd, uh, as much of a fan as the environment as we are, but also you a have your own dogs, but also you have a dog walking business. We thought maybe you'd be able to mm-hmm. come on in and weigh in um, about something that's been in the news quite a bit recently, or something that seems to resurge in spring, and that's the conversation around dogs dog owners in nature reserves and sites of special scientific sites of special scientific interest <laughs> he said it's a friday <laughs> so you're on the tea i know i'm on the tea and all yeah um but yeah so I, we were just wondering you know how does how does this collide for you how does this this topic and conversation pan out from from where you sit it's a real I, it's it shouldn't be complex, I don't think this topic should be, but it is, and that's what I find hardest mm. about it, because it should be very simple of, you know, when we look at what nature reserves and these sites of scientific interest are, they're, they're havens for wildlife. Mm. They're places where we're meant to be protecting nature and fauna and flora as well. Um, so it should be a no-brainer, really, that domestic animals, from a pet point of view, from dogs and cats... Um, a, a shouldn't have access or should have restricted access so i don't think it should be a big conversation if i'm honest it's my personal that's my personal view on it outright but obviously when we look at especially in the last year the dog population in, in the uk has grown mm. i mean it was i think about i think it was eight and a half million and i checked today and it's now at 10.1 million and so it's gone up a massive amount in a couple of years it's re- it really has grown and i think that's that's going to naturally put on more pressure and obviously you've got brand like people that are brand new dog owners for the first time that aren't going to look into as much as experienced dog owners are or people that have looked into it before getting it so it becomes this big complex thing where we're dealing with people's experiences from both ends of the spectrum i guess um for me for the dog running the dog daycare as well it's something that i have to be aware of because i'm walking with one of my team members 10 dogs at a time so i Gosh. have to make sure they're under control and i i actually see and have seen the impact if they're not in control so for me again that makes it a no-brainer it kind mm. of goes that's the impact you know a dog digging when there's just one dog very little impact if 20 dogs in one hour dig in the same spot big impact so it's that that's the complexity that's where it all comes into it i mm. guess it's a bit of a struggle isn't it i mean uh, one of the things that i've kind of thought about was you know you you get a lot of like so for for the point of view of maybe the landowner or the the person that's looking after the wildlife reserve particularly if you've got species that are vulnerable at certain times of the year like spring right Mm. now we're in ground nesting bird season and ground nesting birds are really vulnerable to disturbance from dogs and a lot of them if panicked once will never return um it's kind of it's hard you can see why their kind of panic response or not panic response but why a lot of landowners' response will be, well, I'm just banning dogs in general, total ban year round. But do you think I'd, that doesn't seem to be maybe the best way forward? I would have thought. I'm not a I'm not a firm believer that things like this are black and white. I don't think they're solved with bans. I honestly don't. I think there are some things that are, and I don't think this is one of them. But I do understand mm. where landowners and you know land managers are coming from. You know, when you don't get the compliance from from dog owners um or or commercial dog walkers then yes you're going to want to going to put that pressure on to put more ban i guess but i think like you said i I really do think with this topic we have to start looking at the evolution of 
dog husbandry. I think it's changed massively. You know, there's way more dog breeds than there were 50 years ago. Um, we're obviously rescuing and rehoming more dogs from abroad, which is a great thing and I'm a big advocate for, but with that becomes new behaviour and becomes things that we're not used to in the UK. You know, a lot more hunting goes on with rescue dogs because they're used to having to survive like that. Um, so whether we like it or not, we do have to start looking at the husbandry that we're giving to our dogs. Of course, it would be great if dogs could be off lead all the time and running around, but that's not the only type of exercise they need. There's stuff from sensory enrichment you can do on walks. If your dog is a high energy dog and it needs to be running around or needs to be active, there are more things you can do than just letting it off the lead. You can do agility on walks. You can have a long line and get them to run with you. And you can do fetch, which is the most classic example of getting your dog to burn off some steam. And like I said, using food for scatter feeds and stuff like that to really keep it enriched and around you. So I think we do have to look at the, the husbandry side of things and not just, you know, from a dog owner point of view and put that, you know, responsibility on us. Um, and then you've got to have that awareness that even if your dog is not predating on any wildlife, that doesn't mean that's not how wildlife sees it. Mm. Wildlife sees dogs and cats. But if we're focusing on dogs as a predator, it's a disturbance, it's a large animal and it could do damage. And like you said, some animals... Um, especially ground nesting birds like curlews or lapwings may not come back into that area again if there's this increased regular disturbance from dogs and it's not just a seasonal thing i think this is the other thing that we get into we go you know well let's let's restrict it during spring and summer and it's like yeah that helps a lot but also we've got animals that are hibernating during winter you know mm. you've got amphibians that go dormant during that time and if they're they're usually fine if they're disturbed if you stumble across them but if dogs are digging and splashing in ponds and ruining that kind of environment that's that's a heavy disturbance mm. which might really damage that so it's I, I, I just think it's like I said at the beginning it's that no-brainer thing that I don't see let's okay this is a point to bring up let's look at muzzles for example okay. Muz, muzzles have this kind of agenda where we think it means it's a dangerous dog and it doesn't a muzzle means we the dog usually puts something yes. in its mouth <laughs> And I, I don't want it to. It could be anything. It could be it is aggressive or it could be it likes to eat sticks. It likes to eat mud. It eats food everywhere. So we've got this kind of, I don't know, stigma around muzzles that has slowly started to phase out. And there's a big call for it. And I think we've got the same stigma when it comes to dogs on lead. We see a dog on a lead and we think we dog owners take that personally and think, oh, well, people think I can't control my dog. No, it doesn't. It means that your dog is under control because you have it on lead. And I think a lot of the time when we're talking about this, and you guys must have spoken about this on the podcast with um, sustainability, where people take it personally. It's like a personal attack on you if we're saying you have to put your dog on lead. It's like, well, my dog's fine. I'm not doing anything wrong. But, you know, having it on lead, especially in these sites of interest, is just cancelling out all the risks that that dog could do, even from going to the toilet, you know, which is added pressure on the environment as well. Those are really good points. And I think that people tend to have a really rose-tinted view almost of um their mm. dog and the dog's behavior because we've all had it where a dog runs up and then they're like oh they're fine they're really friendly and it's just like mm, i'm not so sure they are but that's not really the point <laughs> is it <laughs> um the, yeah, yeah like everyone seems seems to assume that oh the, the dogs run off into the undergrowth they're back in five minutes they're absolutely fine like they're not, they're not causing any harm but th th just them just their presence uh like you said, can really mm -hmm. disturb wildlife and quite often the dog's behaviour isn't as good as we like to think they are. I, I, I do very rarely let my dogs off the lead uh, because I, mm. I just know that 
they're, they're, they're probably fine, but I, I would hate it for that one time they chase a squirrel and, and get it or something. And I mean, you two obviously both have dogs. I don't have any dogs, but I have to admit this last year, almost, I mean, a, a large percentage of my friends have suddenly been popping up on Instagram with, with puppies. It's uh, the mm. rise this year in, in dog ownership seems to be pretty massive. It, it, it's been, I mean, the phrase lockdown dog should not be a thing. Do you know what I mean? It shouldn't have even existed mm. because it, it. if you were waiting for a national lockdown to get a dog, <laughs> then that was optimistic at the best of times. But it's happened now. We're in the situation where people did get dogs. So it's how we go forward. We can't look back on that. It's happened. We've got to sure. now go forward and try and manage the, the added population. I think the concern that conservationists share and landowners um, and land managers have with this year coming up as we're starting to open up restrictions again and going like you know people can go back to nature reserves and uh, green spaces is that a lot of these people are first-time dog owners um and would have given it some research i would hope but obviously with your restriction on where you can go would have probably limited your thought of how much to research you know where can i take my dog is it okay to let a dog off lead here it probably would have just naturally restricted some of your thoughts um of how to look this up so I think the main worry is, is how many new dog owners are going to be taking their dogs. Um, oh, now we can go to the nature reserve five miles away. So let's take the dog there and let it straight off lead. And then it sees some deer for the first time and then yeah. it chases a deer into a road. So I think these are the worries that I think people are starting to have. So, I mean, to listeners, if everyone's listening, you've bought a dog over lockdown. First of all, congrats. But second of all, I urge you to look up the restrictions of wherever you're taking your dog. Yeah, and absolutely. like I said here and i think the advocate is do not fear a long line when taking your dog somewhere buy one from anywhere any independent pet shop has them and you can get a 10 foot one and just take them and your dog will still have a perfect time and scatter feeds god i'm a believer of scatter feeds they work they really enrich a dog dog smell is so heightened so scattering food on the floor on a walk can calm them down, can really get their senses going and really get them looking in the grass for the kibble or whatever your vegetables that you're scattering in there. Mm. That's a really excellent tip. Yeah, we, we've got yes. some uh, snuffle mats for our dogs um, for feeding, especially when we first got our second one and she was a bit more mm. wary of everything. Uh, they're just really good for scattering in and they just yeah. enjoy a nice little look around for the food. But that's a really good point as well about mm-hmm. just keeping them under control, especially if you're a first-time dog owner and this will be the first time you can really yeah. take them out on proper walks is keeping them under control properly. Isn't a bad thing. It keeps the dog safe. It keeps wildlife safe. It keeps yeah. you calm yeah. and less stressed. It's just mm. better for everyone. And there's no shame in it. And it's a also, if you use vegetables, sure. like using carrots or apples or stuff like that, any that your dog doesn't find wildlife will lap up. Hey, like the, things the like birds squirrels will be or birds all over will just, that. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And so you're kind of win-win. Gosh, I've learned a lot. Thank you so much. But before um, bef- you're so before we let you go, we have to ask you one thing. And I have given you warning mm. that I'm going to ask you this. Um, <laughs> the classic one to I don't, trap. I don't, I don't trap people anymore. I have on occasion you. forgotten to warn people. And like the look, on, the look on people's face when I say, oh, yeah, have you done something good for the planet this week? They've all gone, oh, my God. No, I've done four bad things. <laughs> so... So with enough warning, <laughs> yeah, I've so yeah. many things. The fossil fuels in my garden are burning away. <laughs> Ryan, what terrible things have you done for the planet this week? <laughs> <laughs> Thrown poo in the bushes with the bags. Um, no, I 
Well, actually, it was going to be... So what I was going to say was the pots I found that I sent to you, Emma, as my boast. I don't think it was even like... I'd, embarrassingly, I wasn't sharing, look what I found. I was showing off. No, oh, I thought it was <laughs> going, like a real excitement. Look what I, found. I thought you just like needed an outlet for your excitement for finding these pots <laughs> in the road. And I was, I was I here for so, it. I did so, but I also... I don't want to sound like a 12-year-old child. <laughs> Go and look at my drawing. Look what I've done. <laughs> hey, if you'd like to send um, us but a maybe drawing... That is- we're here for it, yeah. You should. You absolutely should. Well, we'd love to. <laughs> yeah. we but but love to see I mean, to the listeners, let's Come not on. forget. Whilst we do love to receive your drawings on Fort Surf, we cannot return them all. <laughs> let's remember that. Um, <laughs> I am we so desperate for someone to draw us now. Yeah, I really, really, really want. Badly to. I'll do the first one. I'll do the first you, drawing. You've got I'm until screen Wednesday grab for this for this episode to come out, and I want to be able to share <laughs> your drawing. Oh, this is gonna. I've just give, do you see how I give myself work. Do you see how that happens. Right. What I'm. Um, okay. So what I was gonna say was the the jars that I found that someone just gave. I cannot believe they gave them away. I can For me, it was like finding gold because mm. I've been trying to get them for a while, um, and it's just one of those things that costs seven pound a jar, and you're like, if I need to buy five or six, it's too much. So for context, um, for, for listeners, so these them. are big big kind yes. of like big pasta jars big jars that you can use for mm. your refillable habits and there was about eight or nine in in the bag we've got a very nice hessian bag for life as well <laughs> what kind of neighborhood are you win. in people are throwing away bags for life crumbs islington is a fascinating area um so i got them so that wasn't actually doing anything but then i instantly have used them so i've filled my cupboards i've reorganized my cupboards got all the pasta the oats and then the rice and then the spaghetti and then the uh, cashew nuts and stuff like that and now i'm buzzing to go down to the refill store down the road when they're empty and be like (laughs) carrying all these jars like ryan's here but there was one more thing I was going to say, and I was really hoping, I put it on my Instagram, Emma, and I was hoping that you wouldn't see it, and then you saw it. I know what you're going to say. Local, my local refill store, and I'm going to plug it, called Kilo London in Islington, is um, doing refillable oat milk. I mean, I've <laughs> not seen this in any of my locals. I'm very, very jealous. Yeah. I was so I, I actually asked my local about it and I was just like, oh, I've, I've seen um, some stores have got uh, refillable oat milk vending dispensers. Mm. And they were like, oh, yeah, we would love to do that. But the thing is, obviously, costs up front for them to install and they're relying on the guarantee yeah. of people using it. Uh-huh. But they said they'll definitely look into yeah, it. What a, what a brilliant yeah, idea. I would use that so I often. I mean, because I've made it. But it's, it's and, and it's not hard to make. It's the straining it's that you just like. It's a isn't it? It's just, it can be messy. And I was like, ah, well, I want to do it. And I've done it a fair few times. And then now I've saw, seen that, I'm like, oh, game changer. Like, I am definitely refilling bottles of milk. That's so good. So, yeah, that's going to be my second thing that I'm going to do. There you go. You've got one that I have and then one that's well done. pending. Well done for bringing two to the podcast. <laughs> how much they cost, whether we could put them in our own homes. Maybe you could become the local um, oat milk dispenser. I just meant for me to save me buying. How much oat milk are you going through that you need an industrial vending machine? I really like oat milk and coffee. (laughs) I really like oat milk and coffee and uh, cereals and porridge. Oh, it's excellent in porridge, Mm. yeah. Mm. Well, because then your entire meal is oat. Do you put it in porridge? (laughs) Yeah, that's like a a chip butty, isn't it? Yes. It's good. good. No, well done. Those are are two very, very good things. Thank you so much for coming. Um, Thank you. Tell tell everyone where they can find you because you also have an excellent nature podcast. Thank you very much. Um, 
I run and host Into the Wild podcast. It's a podcast about nature, wildlife and conservation. We pretty much chat about everything to do with it. There's no stone left unturned. Um, so we are on social media, of course, Into the Wild pod. And then we are on every major podcast app, I believe. And you can find me on social media at Mr. Ryan J. Dalton, if you want. Exactly. And it is very, very good. I definitely recommend our listeners take a listen and cross-pollinate. Is that a thing? Cross-pollinate? The cross-pollination of listeners? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pod cross-pollinating. I mean, yeah, listen to this one first. Yeah, and then oh it, yeah, don't, don't stop then to listen to Well, I've had enough of this one. <laughs> we only come I've, out every give two us a weeks, go for a so week. you can fill the other weeks with Ryan. Yeah. We're weekly. I don't want to say that's better, but, you know, it's, it's more consistent into the wild. It's more weekly, and then you can go... We're really busy. We're so... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's that wraps it up for our, our cats yeah. and dogs and naturey pets episode. Yeah, thank you again, Ryan, for joining us. That was really, really interesting. We, um, it's it's fair to say we chatted to Ryan for a lot longer than we managed to yes. squeeze into the episode as well, isn't it? So keep an eye out on our Instagram because uh, we will undoubtedly at some point be sharing some more of our yeah. chat with him. More, because more the, poo the, the, content. The full chat was really interesting and it was really yeah. good to get his opinion as someone who owns a dog walking company. Yeah. So definitely keep on the lookout for that. It was the three levels of people, wasn't it? It was me, pet novice, <laughs> non-pet haver, you, your average, got a couple of pets and then businessman king of pets super pets (laughs) so thanks for joining us if you've got any more suggestions for topics for example because as we said this was a listener suggested uh, topic then we'll be more than happy to do them as long as they're not too out there or maybe no we would we we want to do an out there topic let's not let's not restrict the creativity of listeners I'm I'm here to I'm definitely up for um, considering anything ridiculous. I'd love to see what gets proposed. But you can contact us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Just search for Forward It's Earth podcast, and you can drop us a cheeky little email at forwardit'searthpod at gmail.com. And before we go, as always, we have to remind you that all of the opinions that we've expressed in this podcast they are our own. They are nobody mm. else's. So if you don't like them, take them up with us and nobody that we work for or are affiliated with. <laughs> And the only thing left to say is please do leave us a lovely review on your podcast platform of choice because it really does help us move up the charts and then other people can find us and then we can grow into a bloodthirsty, heartless monopoly on the podcast industry. (laughs) And And only you can help us do that. (laughs) And, you know, sure. And and maybe hopefully help some more people help the planet as well as a little side side thing. Yeah. You can just just edit my bit out. Yeah, sure. (laughs) <laughs> sure, sure, sure thing, mate. No, no, no problem. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. See ya. Bye bye.